Hey, thanks, gang, and thanks for that great reminder. This is my story in our Reconnect series um, today. <clears throat> we are focusing on a week where we're saying reconnect to our story. So what a great way to be um, reminded of that. In the lectionary, uh, um, which is the chart of readings for Christian churches throughout the year that we chose to use in the beginning of the year, we um, went to the Old Testament lesson today. Um, a lot of times we're just so tempted to roll over to, uh, to a New Testament passage or in the gospel and Sometimes I think we overlook some of these incredibly helpful and encouraging and instructing words that we find in the, in the Old Testament. If you uh, have your Bible or you follow along on your phone or however you do that, I am in the, um, Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament, uh, somewhere in the middle, a little bit towards the beginning. And um, uh, these words are very instructive for what it means to reconnect with our story. Now I'm reading, as you will see, there's some selected verses. Verse 4 is missing and verse 7 is missing. You want to know what you're missing out on? Those are just the names of all the people who were hanging out that day being a part of it, right? So uh, we're going to jump over those names and just get the meat of what was happening. Hear these words from, wow, long, long ago um, for the people of God even, even today. All of the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to get the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women. Now that men and women is very important in the text. Because it's in the Old Testament, which often does not say anything but the men. And, and Nehemiah goes out of the way to say men and women, and then later you'll hear and others. So, so what that tells us is this is very inclusive. This is an inclusive experience among all of the people. They went out of their way. So Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people where he was standing above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up then Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen amen lifting their hands then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground so they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people this, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, 
eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Have any of you ever read the novel entitled 100 Years of Solitude? Yeah, written by um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And she tells in this novel the story of a fictional town called Macondo. And uh, this town was surrounded by a swamp, which accounted for the solitude. Now, one day in the story, a little girl wanders into the village. She was fleeing her village where there had been an outbreak of a plague. Do we know anything about outbreaks of plagues? There had been an outbreak of plagues that caused insomnia. Now, a family in the village who had taken her in noticed that one of their daughters couldn't sleep. And the plague had followed the little girl to Macondo. Now, at first, people believed the plague wouldn't be so bad because, you know, I mean, if you can't sleep, you have lots of times to do other things. But then they discovered another symptom of the plague, loss of memory. People began to forget things. For example, the names of the tools they worked with and where they had put them. They fought this loss of memory by labeling all of the things with their identity, with their names, so that they would, all they had to do is read the inscription and know what the items were. Table, chair, door, cow, pig, and so on. But later it occurred to them that, well, we might just forget what these things are for. So they made the signs even more elaborate. The sign that hung around the neck of the cow, for example, went more like this. This is a cow. She must be milked every morning so that she will produce milk. And the milk must be boiled in order to be mixed with coffee. High priority even, right? Mixed with coffee to make coffee and milk. Now to ensure that they never forgot where they were, they erected a huge sign at the emergence of the swamp, and that sign said, this is the village of Macondo. And on the main street of the village, an even larger sign that said, God exists. God exists. So they went on living, uh, Marquez writes in this novel, in a reality um, they captured momentarily in written words what described the most necessary things for their life. But that reality would be lost forever when the people forgot the meaning of the letters on the signs. It was a dismal situation. Now this dismal situation in Macondo reminds me a lot of the situation the people of God find themselves in the text today. Now, as I began to study the text and get ready for worship today, one of the things that dawned on me is I have not been in the book of Nehemiah for a really, really long time. And what that convicted me of is the fact that I had forgotten a lot of what's there. And one of the things that I had forgotten is how significant this exact text in chapter 8 is as a moment for the people of God. 
And, and you know, as we like to say, context is important. So um, I'm going to bet that if I forgot some of this context, maybe some of you did too. So let's bring us all up to speed. What's happening here is this is shortly after the exile. This is when the people of God had been carried away to Babylon decades earlier. And when that happened, when they were taken from the promised land, they lost all kinds of things. They lost their land. They lost their security. They had an incredible abundance and prosperity. They lost it all. And the best that we can tell, the exile was somewhere around 70 years long. That's a long time. They, they had to carve out in a, in a strange land their life. They had to figure out how to live under oppression of a foreign king. And we really don't have a whole lot of details about what unfolded in that time with regard to what they did um, to remember who they were as God's people. What they did to rekindle and, and keep the, their identity and their story in front of them. I'm sure they tried, but like most things like that, they began to forget. One scholar in reflecting on this reminds us of this, that, that in exile, it was that memory, it was that memory of who they were that literally glued and held the Israelites together. It was the memory. It kept them close to God. It kept them reliant upon God. It kept them responsive to God. But as those 70 years passed, the Israelites grew somewhat careless about that memory. And so what they developed was spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. People with amnesia, if you've ever watched a soap opera, you know this, right? <laughs> You know, every soap opera has amnesia in it. People with amnesia, they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're expected to do. They don't know to whom they are accountable. And by the time the Israelites returned home from exile, they had forgotten most of what they had known about their spiritual heritage as God's people. Their identity, they forgot. And the return from the exile was tough. It was a crushing disappointment. After all of those years in exile and others occupying the land, what they found when they arrived at Jerusalem is that the walls of the city were in ruins. The temple where they all centered their spiritual life had been reduced to just rubble. And the countryside that they had prepared to sustain their life was now just a wasteland. How in the world, how in the world would they get their lives back together? Enter Nehemiah. He, he was a governor, and, and along with this other guy, the scribe named Ezra, they stepped up to the renewal project. Nehemiah... He said, I'm going to take on the wall. So he took on building the wall, which the text says they built that wall in 52 days. Gang, I have seen that wall. I don't know how they pulled that one off. Uh, so they would have some security. And Ezra, 
he took on the job of rebuilding the temple. Now, in today's text that I just read, all of that reconstruction work has already been done. It's finished. It's complete. And so everyone gathers in Jerusalem at the town square in front of the water gate. This is not like the water gate in Washington, D.C., all right? Just, you know, everybody thinks about that when we read this text, at the water gate. And um, they were now safe and secure because they had the wall, and they had a place to worship. But their situation was still pretty bleak. I mean, they were still dominated by a foreign power that taxed them heavily. They had external enemies that still threatened their lives. There was internal division and injustice. Neighbor was being set against neighbor. The Israelites needed guidance. They needed assurance. And the key to the future was this. Their key to their future was reconnecting with their God story. Knowing their God story was the key. And that story was contained for them in their scriptures, which is called the Torah, or as we might say, the first five, Bibles, or first five books of the Old Testament. And they said, hey, Ezra, run grab the scroll that contains the Torah that he had protected while they were in Babylon and brought it back home. And today's text tells us about him reading from that scroll and the people were reconnecting with their God story and they were regaining their identity. They were regaining their memory as who they are as the people of God. And then there was, then there was this really, really surprising reaction to hearing the Torah read. The text tells us that when it was read, they began to weep and mourn begin to weep and mourn. Why'd they do this? Why did they weep and mourn? They did it because they realized it came to their memory of the size of the gap between them and God that had developed while they were in the exile. They, they, they were overcoming their spiritual amnesia of who they were as God's people. Those former exiles were discovering where they were in the story that God was writing. They had wandered so far from God and they'd forgotten so much about their faith that there was that huge gap between what God wanted of God's people and their current situation. And when they realized that, the sense of grief and loss and probably shame overwhelmed them and caused them to weep. Now, the reaction to that by Ezra and Nehemiah is so instructive to us even today when we find ourselves in a gap kind of situation, when we find ourselves seeing that there is a gap between what God wants of us and our current situation. And here's the reaction. This is how Ezra and Nehemiah reacted to them. They said, don't grieve, don't cry, because this is a good day. It's a good day. It is a day of remembering who we are and who God is. So rather than weep and mourn, go home and prepare a feast. Do you love like I love that says go home and eat fat? I mean, who doesn't like a little bit of fat in their food, right? 
and drink some wine and share it with those who don't have any because this day is holy to God. God rejoices when God's people turn back. This day is holy to God. And our text ends with the people celebrating, sharing gifts of food and wine because the long season of amnesia is now over. Sacred memories were alive again. They could face the hard work that lay ahead, assured that God would be with them. They're assured of God's love, assured of God's presence, assured of God's strength and guidance. That God would form them back into the people God had made them to be. So friends, like it always happens with God, weeping turns into celebration. Sadness and shame turns to hope. It was a new beginning. Why? Because they reconnected with their story. So what are you and I? You know, modern day sophisticated Christian folk. What do we do with this ancient story? Well, I think it is a big, I think the biggest invitation of this text today is to realize that we constantly need to reconnect with our God story. Stay connected. Friends, there are all kinds of ways that we get disconnected from our God story. We, that we find ourselves in some spiritual exile, that we find ourselves suffering some spiritual amnesia, that in exile, we forget who we are. We forget whose we are. And God doesn't give up, but constantly invites us to remember, to reconnect. Now, I don't know if I have preached a sermon in the last year and a half that I haven't said the word pandemic. Are you tired of hearing me say it? Well, if you're tired of hearing me say it, you know just how tired I am of the pandemic. Amen? Amen. But this pandemic has not only been harmful to lives physically, but friends, this pandemic has been harmful to our spiritual lives. And there are a whole bunch of really smart people who are scholars around things of the spiritual life who, have, who will bear that out as being true. Our spiritual lives have suffered. We have been and we are in exile in many ways. And as hard as we have tried to stay connected to the story, as hard as our staff and the church has worked to keep things going and keep us connected, it's been hard. And if some of us are just honest about it, we've kind of just totally disconnected. Now, I don't say that to you to to cause shame or grief. I say that to you because I want to say, like Nehemiah said so long ago, that's not a cause for weeping and mourning. It's hope. It's hope by naming it and seeing that. And as we think about reconnecting with our story in our own spiritual lives, I don't want us to miss the very last words of today's um, reading. Because Nehemiah makes a declaration about God that gives them assurance and hope. And he reminds them that the joy of the Lord is their strength. 
They feel weak, but the joy of the Lord is going to be their strength to get them through this. The good news is that the God who created us, the God who woos us into a relationship with God, the God who stands ready to accompany us with the strength we need to return and reconnect at any moment. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And in the midst of their dismay, Nehemiah is wanting us to recognize that reconnecting to our God story, although when we are honestly connecting to our God story, it often makes us feel sorrowful or remorseful or even shame in our present situation. It in that way to God, for God, it is a holy day, a holy day because God's children return to God. So it's a day to rejoice and celebrate and party. And we're not on our own to make this happen. God gives us all the resources we need. God is with us. And the joy of the Lord, because it's a holy day, becomes our strength. Because at the end of the day, gang, God is for us. God is for us. Now, over and over in my life, uh, personally, and in my ministry, I have experienced and watched this happen in lives. I have walked with folks who have found themselves disconnected from their God story. People who find themselves in some spiritual exile, And watch them overcome their amnesia. And in many cases, feeling the heaviness and the sorrow of the gap that has happened between them and God. But at the same time, having this deep longing desire to reconnect to their story with God. And I have been able to see absolute life change at the closing of that gap in lives. Friends, I'm going to let you in on something. We all have a gap. We all have a gap. That, that's why we need the spiritual life. And this message today is not just for those who have a massive gap. Um, I love that when we have messages like this, that is like, well, you know, I, I know somebody who's got this great big gap between them and God. I'm going to get a recording of that sermon, and I think I'm going to send it to them to convict them. It ain't about them. It's about you and it's about me as well. We all have a gap. I guess I could say that we all suffer from some level of spiritual amnesia. The the life of faith invites us to continue to reconnect with our story, to remember who we are. We're the people of God. We are daughters and sons of God and continue to live more and more into that identity. So what do we do with all this? Well, I want to give you some nuts and bolts and then then I'll be finished. I want to give us three questions. Quickly, three ways that I think that we can actually engage to help overcome spiritual amnesia and close the gap. The first is obvious. It's today's piece. Remember our story. Remember our story. 
In the Nehemiah story, it was in the context of of the gathered people. They were listening to the scriptures. And did you notice they also said, and they were interpreted for them. That that means I have job security interpreting (laughs) the scriptures, right? And they were reviewing their story, and then something happens, gang, when, when God's people gather to encounter the word. Like we are gathered here and online, we are gathered to hear the scripture, to hear it interpreted, to remember our story. And what our God story reminds us is that God's never finished working us. That God has has made a way to always close those gaps through the work of Jesus. Through Jesus, God makes it possible to always go home. Now, you know, I have a favorite one-liner I always use, and so I have to use it right here. And that is a reminder of this. God allows U-turns. God allows us to turn around and go back towards God. When we recognize we're going in the wrong direction, We can turn around. So remember. The second is is confession. And um, interestingly enough, I just gave you the confession piece because I jumped pages, right? God allows us to turn around. Now let's go back to remember. One of the ways that we remember is when we're gathered, we hear the story. And that happens for us in places like worship. It allows us to encounter the scriptures. It reminds us of our God story. It allows us to close the gap. And gang, I know worship has been tough recently. It's really hard. I mean, we got our masks on. We're spread it all out. We're online. We're here. It's been a tough go. But I'm grateful for the ways that y'all have hung in there. I mean, you've given us the best. You've given your best effort um, in the life of worship. I just want to encourage you, keep hanging in there. And those of us who, who work on worship, we're making it a priority to continue to find ways to help you connect to your God story. So remember, and then confession, which I already gave you. Um, and now I'm going to go to the third word. Remember, confess, and then commitment. Commitment. In the larger arc of the Nehemiah story, um, this is a moment of a turning point for the Israelites. The key to that turning point was that they had reconnected to their story. They felt the weight of the gap that was between them and God, and they turned back, and there was a commitment to reclaim their story, and it was going to require a lot of them. Now, the biblical witness reminds us and demonstrates over and over and over again that this is a pretty typical pattern for God, right? That we would encounter God, and it requires a commitment to keep going a new way. I'm reminded, uh, for example, that, that, do you remember that story when the Pharisees and the scribes brought a woman that they claimed had been caught in adultery to Jesus? Remember that story? And they said to Jesus, our law requires that she be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? And uh, you remember how Jesus react, responded to them? He says, well, as they're all standing there, you know, tossing their stone in their hand, getting ready for the deal. He says, well, okay, you who is without sin, why don't you cast the first stone? And I can only imagine in my mind's imagination that day, you know, that guy with his stone right there, kind of like, you know, you've heard of mic drops. <laughs> it's like a stone drop, right? 
And then it would kind of wander away and then another and another. And at some point, Jesus looks to the woman and he says, where are your condemners? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And then Jesus proclaimed her forgiveness. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now, that was enough, one would think. But Jesus pushed it to the commitment place. Neither do I condemn you, he says, but go on your way and from now on do not sin. It's one thing to make a U-turn, but the spiritual life draws us to commit to the new direction toward our own God-preferred future. So if you want to work on closing the gap, if you want to work on reconnecting to our God story, remember, put yourself in a context where you will remember the story. Confess those things that either got you in that situation or are holding you in that situation. God can take it. There is nothing too heinous that we can't say to God and confess. And then when we do that, the strength of the Lord will allow us to make the commitment to the new way. Now I want to close with a quick word of, of prayer. And then, um, Chris, we're going to, can we sing the uh, um, Blessed Assurance chorus on the way out? Because I just love how that reminds us that this is my story. So would you mind singing that old hymn with us again when, we're, when we finish up here? Um, so let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you for the way that you are always consistent in writing the story of salvation for your people. And, and, and we want to remember that story, our God story, that we know through Jesus. And we confess to you, whatever the garbage is, whatever the thing we did, whatever the thing we didn't do, or just, just our busyness of life that caused us to wander around and cause the gap, we just confess, we confess that to you now with the clear and sure assurance that you will give us forgiveness because you let us do U-turns. And God, we recommit to you, we commit to you this day that because of the grace you have showered on us in Jesus that gave us a chance to close the gap and go a new way, that we will commit to going the new way, knowing that we'll make some mistakes and we'll create some more gaps along the way, but that, that you will help us do that because you are our strength. And to you, God, this is a holy day because of the return. Would you help us do that, God, with your help? We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.